Good morning. This week, we continue in our New City Catechism devotional, looking at question 13. But just before we jump in, um, a reminder, for the past five weeks, we have looked at the Ten Commandments. We've broken it up week by week. We've taken each week and looked at one of the commandments. So we didn't get to all ten, but we looked at different pieces of the Ten Commandments. And, and so last the last five weeks have been a look at uh, this kind of small part of the law of God, significant, but, but small. Um, and this week, we are going to shift our focus to our relationship to the law. Uh, and one note about this week's question, uh, as we think about the law, it's really easy to jump to the fulfillment of the law, that Christ has made this promise that he has come to fulfill the law. And that is true and right and good, and we should reflect on that. In fact, it's it's one of my favorite parts about Leviticus, and, and thinking through Leviticus and reflecting on that book and the law of God, it, it reveals all that Christ has done. But we're going to get there. In the coming weeks, we're going to ask questions like, what is the purpose of the law? Or what, is, what does it mean that the Redeemer fulfills the law? And all of these things. So, so this week might feel a little bit like a downer week. Um, just because the hope part of the law is something we'll get to. So I just want to say that at the front end, there's still hope in what we'll talk about today. Uh, but just remember that this isn't the whole message, that, that in the coming weeks we'll round out this discussion of how we relate to the law. So with that, let's jump into question 13 of the New City Catechism. Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? And the answer, since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, indeed. And the passage that goes along with this week is Romans 3, 10 through 12. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. When Paul talks about the law and again, we'll get into this in more detail, but, but when Paul talks about the law, especially in Romans 5, one of the things that he says is that the law reveals our sinful state. And in Galatians, he says the law has no power to save. And so when we think about the law, there is or can be a hopelessness about it. Even as we hear that passage in Romans 3, no one is righteous, no, not one. And that's at the heart of some of Jesus' responses to people. When, when people say, what must I do to be saved? He says, why do you call me good? Right? He acknowledges this, this tension that there, there is an, an evil, there is a wickedness. And so this person rightly identifies Jesus as the good teacher, but he still questions, why do you call me good? And so there, there is tension when we think about good and evil and our ability to do good and be good. So there's a, a hopelessness when we think about the law. Now there's hope. There is a, a promise that Christ fulfills and, and all of that. But again, we'll get there. So 
when we think about our relation to the law, sometimes we might think, oh, I'm not, I'm not too bad. Uh, but I, I think as we walk through the Ten Commandments over the past five weeks, we start to recognize, oh, I haven't just broken one or two, but I consistently break many of these because they're not just about external actions. They're about our heart and our thoughts. Just as the, the answer to this week's question suggests, we consistently break the law in thought, word, and deed. Even as believers, we wrestle with this tension that we still struggle with sin, that we still break the law. Uh, Paul gets at this in, in Romans chapter 7 as well, where he says, there's good that I want to do, but, but the, the evil that I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. And I think it's important to remember that as we think about the law, though, as we consider the ten, even just the Ten Commandments, we recognize that we consistently break many. James 2.10 reminds, whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. And so even if we think, oh, I do pretty good in, in terms of the law and how, how my works maybe uh, prove my righteousness, I do pretty good. But, but if we break even one point, we are guilty of breaking the whole thing. Uh, and this is uh, part of Paul's argument in Romans 1 through 3 is really laying out Gentiles have broken the law and need salvation and Jews have broken the law and need salvation. And that, that argument kind of culminates in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so Paul makes this argument that Jews and Gentiles alike are in need of a savior because we all have, have broken the law. We, we cannot keep it perfectly, which means we have no power to redeem ourselves. We, ha we have no ability to work our way, put in enough effort, do enough good to be right before God. Consider Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Now, Isaiah 64 is, is kind of at the tail end of this prayer of repentance, and it fix, fits into this larger uh, narrative that Isaiah is talking about, but it, it rightly and helpfully illustrates this idea that apart from Christ, even our good works are like polluted garment, or maybe translation you're more familiar with, like filthy rags. And here it's, it's I think, important to pause, to, to reflect, to think on, because our good works are like filthy rags, does this mean an unredeemed person cannot do good? And there are two things happening here. There is the external action of doing something good and right, but there is what does this mean for our relationship with God? That's kind of the second part. And when Isaiah is talking about here is really that second. 
He's not saying that people are incapable of doing some kind of good act, right? Even unredeemed non-believers can love their neighbor. They can perform acts of selflessness at times. But when it comes to repentance and being right before God, those acts of good don't do a whole lot. Those acts of good presented to God to say, God, take this uh, as my redemption, it doesn't add up to anything. It's like a filthy rag. And so in the context of repentance and being made holy, our righteous deeds don't do anything because we're not offering something polished and beautiful. We're, we're offering something, even a good work, marred by our sinful fallen state. So what, what this means, our righteous deeds are like polluted garments, like filthy rags, means our good works can't fix the real problem. That is our rebellion against God. We need someone outside of ourselves to redeem. We need a savior. And so I want to focus actually on a parallel passage to Isaiah 64. Uh, something we might not consider as a parallel passage, but it uses very similar language. It uses a Greek equivalent to this term, filthy rags. Now, so what I want to think about is, what are our good works for? What do they do? And before Christ, our good works cannot redeem, they cannot rescue, they cannot make us right before God. And after a relationship with Christ has begun, after our conversion, after we are saved, our good works aren't the focus. Consider Philippians 3, and this is that parallel passage. It says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, pause in the middle of this passage. It's, there's some irony here that Paul in other passages like Romans says, hey, the law, all it does is reveal sin. Adhering to it perfectly doesn't actually save you. So he's laying out qualifications here, but he's already acknowledged that these qualifications won't save him. Continuing in verse 7, uh, Philippians 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul continues in that passage, but that, that's enough for our consideration. That word, rubbish. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish is the same word idea as filthy rags, as polluted garments. It's, it's kind of the same idea. And so before Christ... Our righteousness is as filthy rags, something that cannot save, cannot redeem, cannot actually make us holy. And after Christ has made us holy, our good works are the same in comparison to simply knowing and being in relationship with Christ. And so our relationship to our works, or how we think about our good works, rather, 
before Christ, we, we have to acknowledge those things don't save us. We can do some good. We can care for our neighbors. We can love people, but they don't save us. And after a relationship with Christ, those good things are a testament to what God has done in our own lives. And so in comparison to simply knowing Christ, those things are the same. They're as rubbish. And I just think that that contrast between Isaiah 64 of, of good works before Christ and Philippians 3, or good works after we have gained Christ, the same word applies to both, but our relationship with Christ is what makes all the difference. So where does that leave us? It's important to think about our sin and our sinful state and and where we're at before Christ and what it means to have a relationship with Christ. But we do not wallow in our sinful state, especially as believers. we, We should not, cannot wallow in our sin because Christ has redeemed and forgiven us. And before Christ, We are called and compelled to put our faith in him that we might be forgiven. There is a a framework that I have found helpful when thinking about my own sin as a believer. Uh, It's called the gospel grid. And the gospel grid uh, is found in a book called The Gospel-Centered Life. and, And they talk about this idea that there is life before our conversion, and then at the point of conversion, we recognize that there is a, a separation between us and God. We, we see it plainly that, that we, because of our sin, because of our rebellion, are separated from God. And so we start to see, oh, this is what Christ has done in saving us. He has brought us back to God. But the more that we grow in our faith, the more we grow aware of God's holiness. And also, how sinful we actually were. At the start of our faith, we might say, oh, I'm, I'm sinful, I'm broken, and God has done a great work in forgiving me. But the more we grow, the more we actually recognize how separated from God we were, and that at every point, the cross has bridged the gap between us and God, that God saves us. And so it's important to look at our sin because it's a reminder of what Christ has done in bringing us to God and bridging the gap between our rebellion and his holiness. And so this week really is just a consideration of a growing awareness of our sinful state. Uh, or rather our growing awareness of our sinfulness because our state in Christ, our position in Christ is that we are new creations. So this gospel grid is helpful, I think. And so this week we are reminded of our sinful state and it is a reminder then really of our need for a savior, that our good works are as filthy rags that cannot redeem. And in comparison to knowing Christ, our good works are still as filthy rags. But we need someone who is not merely human to rescue us. We need someone who who can bridge the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. And the more we grow, the more we recognize that all that Christ has done in reconciling us back to God. And we will look at that in greater detail in the weeks to come.